Welcome to Making A Happen. I'm Steve. And I'm Nigel. And I wanted to share with you how impressed I was with uh, reading Sweetgrass. So that's what I've done at the beginning of the podcast. And I talk about recovering from my first jab. So let's join us as we get started on our fourth episode. Thanks for uh, braiding Sweetgrass. Yeah. I like her voice and her storytelling style. There's a whole lot going on there besides just what the words are when she reads yeah. to you, I think, which is quite interesting. Her voice is amazing. Really amazing. I was looking at some of the comments about other books on, on Audible, and some of them say, great books, shame about the voice. Her voice makes a massive difference to it. And I don't know what it would be like to read it. Maybe it wouldn't be, for me, maybe not so emotional. I think if you read it, it would be different because you'd have to imagine a lot of the stuff, whereas because she's telling it to you, the way her voice sounds has a huge impact on the way I'm visualizing the story as she tells it to me. It doesn't sound like she's reading it either, which is amazing. Exactly. Well, and, yeah. well that's a tradition of her native people as well as storytelling, isn't it? So it, it's really got loads of little bits interwoven in it, which I think is really interesting to, mm. to listen to and, and hear. And then the, the other thing that's that I find, what's the word? I'm not, not struggling with, but I, I'm sort of trying to make a connection is that on the one hand, she's a trained botanist. And then on the other side of it, she's talking about the native people's interaction with the environment and how it all works and but she makes it quite simple yeah and and i guess because of my background i always think it's really not that simple <laughs> i just started a bit about the strawberries yeah and the interesting thing is that um in swedish because i've been i've been sort of learning trying to learn swedish or a few swedish words on babel my favorite place in swedish is the strawberry place so when they say my favorite place, if you translate it into English, it's the strawberry place. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got really tempted by strawberries this weekend. It's very it's kind of a funny mention it. I didn't I didn't go for it both times. I went to Stanmer Park on Saturday yeah. and I went, I don't know if you've been there, but they, they've made this new place, the One Garden, which is really nice. You know, it's quite quite shishi i think actually but they've got like a trendy cafe and a trendy shop selling kind of artisan and organic stuff and they had some strawberries there which i was thinking about buying and then i didn't buy them and then yesterday where we walked yesterday on just below the downs near furl on the furl estate is a kind of outdoor garden cafe that's not on a road you can only get to it by walking it's kind of really quirky place it's like this outdoor garden it's kind of wild and yeah, kind of messy garden, but it's just really lovely. And they, they had like uh, strawberry scones and I was I was almost tempted by one of those. But again, I didn't have it. I'm kicking myself now. I, I think it's a bit early for strawberries personally, but that, the garden you're talking about at, at, at Stanmore Park, is, is that, that's quite new, isn't it? Because I think yeah. I heard something about a year and a half ago where somebody was showing a plan of developing a garden there was a yeah. cafe and all kinds of things. Yeah. And it was about a kind of a a new outdoor experience they were designing or something like that. Yeah, I think it's run by Plumpton College. Redone where the, the nursery and the kind of greenhouses were. They've, they've turned it into a walled garden with a cafe and a shop and space to sit and benches and grassy areas. And it's just really, they've, they've modernised it basically. It's really nice. In the park, they've laid better footpaths. They've, got, they've done the road up. They've added more parking spaces. That's actually, I think they've done a really good job actually. And it's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Right. Right. So I guess it's down to business now. <laughs> so have we what had the, our check-in or do you want to start a check-in or how do you want to go? I think we've done enough of a check-in. Unless okay. there's anything you want to add. How are you feeling? No, no, no. 
I'm I'm uh, like I say I'm I'm buzzing at the moment after a bit of exercise shower beautiful sunny day out here yeah cool I'm ready for it I've just had a weird time since my jab basically I was wiped up by the jab then the week afterwards I felt terrible for a week then I'm starting to feel better but I'm still feeling really tired so I don't know if that's something to do with it or whether it's just well I've not been sleeping I mean, it, well. still not sleeping well not sleeping well I mean I think the I think it's good that you're having a bit of a reaction or had a reaction to the jab because that means that your body's starting to react so that, that's a positive yeah. outcome rather than a negative although it's uncomfortable so what are we talking about again <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I think the mapping the mapping was the starting point we could talk a bit about I guess about what happened when we decided to do some mapping yeah so i came to your house yeah and we sat in the garden and it was a beautiful sunny day you had your whiteboard up yeah and we were trying to apply our five categories of producers connectors distributors consumers and decomposers to an overlay of lansing and lansing high street that we'd kind of got from from being there and counting the, the people yeah. in our survey. And what happened? I, I think what happened was it was too complicated. Yeah, it was pretty um, complicated. I think we both got a headache, to be honest. It yeah. was just, it was really way too complicated. I mean, I think the idea was good, but it was just too complicated, a kind of a mapping exercise to get into when we didn't really have enough of an understanding about what we were really asking ourselves. I mean, I think what yeah. came out of it for me was, so what is it we're actually asking? What's the question we're trying to sort out here? Yeah. And I think that's where, where we sort of got very excited about some interesting observations we'd made and tried to overlay them with some other ideas without really thinking about where we were trying to go. And I think that's the learning experience from all that, other than it was nice sitting in the garden and actually meeting somebody in person for a change, is... You've got to start simple and you have to know the question you're trying to answer. So that's kind of where I got to. And what did, what did you get from it? Yeah, I just I got I was getting increasingly frustrated, I remember, and not really understanding how it worked. And all the different things in the high street just seemed way more complicated than maybe a forest is, or maybe we were overcomplicating it or not really understanding how to apply the model exactly. And or or maybe it was like we were trying to force our model onto something that doesn't really fit. We had a few conversations by email afterwards where we were playing around with a few different things. I mean, you took it a bit further and simplified it. And I really liked the picture that you sent me. I thought that was good. <laughs> kind of little trees and it was great. But yeah, I was thinking, what's the question we're trying to answer? That's what came up for me. And for me, I mean, I've done a little more thinking as well. And, and one of the things that started me to, you know, I, I drew that diagram. The other diagram I sent you, incidentally, was an attempt to try and understand a bit more about what the role of people is in, in the way in which the high street works and if they were actually the conduits of things that helped all the other parts prosper, if let's put it that way. But then I started thinking about that and I drew an objective map, I would call it, where I started with a heading and then I tried to think about what you had to do to get that heading. So if you imagine a piece of paper and at the very top it says a thriving high street and then it's sort of like a hierarchical diagram and it breaks down into two roots and one says more people and the other says more spend. And then below more people, there's reasons how you might get more people to come like better access or a better environment or more variety. And equally under more spend, you could have more experience or higher priced products, or maybe people have more disposable income. So 
I was starting to try and use a few of the things that I learned in my MBA back in, gosh, I won't say how many years ago, but it's more than 20. The way in which you kind of solve a problem. What did you think about that? I thought it was good. The question that came up for me is, and I emailed to you about this, about what, you know, again, what's the question that we're trying to solve? What's the purpose of doing this? Is it to support businesses? You know, are businesses the, the way to regenerate the high street? Or is it about solving a problem for people? And I think that you, you know, your kind of diagrams and your thinking was around the nodes in the in the forest of Lansing High Street were businesses. But then I'd had a look at My Oak Public Market and looked at their diagram and, and realized that they'd had the the people as the nodes and the, the vendors as the conduit. And I just it just made me think about just as playing devil's advocate really and about switching it on its head. And you know, is the idea that actually we're trying to regenerate the high street for people rather than for businesses. And that kind of made me think a little bit differently about it. And that means that maybe to regenerate the high street doesn't mean encouraging businesses to thrive but it's about in other kinds of things there so i guess that's what i was thinking about yeah and then you sent me an article about what's the future of the high street mm. and it seemed to be saying that the same thing really that it's not about retail it's about experiences and other kinds of things and you know i don't know it's interesting interesting yeah, question the other thing i shared with you was a vision report that was done for lansing high street back in um, 2012 which had all kinds of diagrams and bits of information and they consulted people and things like that. But it started me thinking after you sent that email and, and I looked at that report and the other thing I sent you, it started me thinking, well, do we even need a high street? <laughs> you know, yeah. but is, is the high street critical or not? Because a lot of the things that were going on seemed to be like trying to preserve the high street yeah. in a way. And rather than, it adapting or changing even making it into experiences still meant the experiences were at the high street because you had to come to the high street for some reason yeah and so i was looking back into history about having sort of like a center and obviously there was hubs if you like for food distribution and things like that for a long time but the idea of having a high street with other things on it started in around um, 1900 and it was actually driven by the suffragettes because these women wanted respectable places to go alone. Yeah. <laughs> because up until they couldn't go out anywhere without a man and they wanted to go out and do something, but it had to be respectable. And so loads of tea rooms and particularly things like Selfridge's department store, which opened in 1909, all kind of started to happen. And while that wasn't exactly the consumer society we know today, that was kind of what drove the development of the idea of a high street with all the different shops. And so I started thinking, hmm, this is this is interesting. And then I looked at another article and someone's coined the phrase fidgetal, P-H-Y-G-I-T-A-L, for the idea that you combine physical activity with digital activity. And so, yeah. you know, your yeah. your example of the French market where you can order the stuff from the farmer and then you go yeah. to the market and he gives it to you. Yeah. That's a, that's a digital application. I love the way people come up with new words. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? As you were talking about this, I was literally writing down collection hubs for online shopping and food hubs. You know, I was thinking about, it's interesting what you're saying about the suffragettes because I was thinking about, I've had a shop in the past or I've tried to have a shop and it wasn't on a high street and it was kind of in a back street. And what I realized without footfall, retail doesn't work. You know, physical retail doesn't work. And so on a high street, you've got lots of people walking past. So that's a kind of, a, to a retailer, that's a benefit of having lots of things together because it, it, it focuses where people come. 
That's right. And, the, and then the other challenge that started to happen is looking at stuff like the, the report that was written uh, for the Vision for Lansing, that the main driver for it all was about how do we get more people to come to Lansing High Street? So how, yeah. you know, they go to the beach. So how do we get them to come up the road to go into the high street center? And yeah. we need more parking. And it was all about getting more people. Yeah. So then I started thinking, well, so which people is this for? Is it for the local community of Lansing? Or yeah. is it for the people who have the shops who just want more people to come to their shops rather than go to shop somewhere else? Yeah. And so then I started wondering if, if we were getting it all wrong. I didn't actually read the Lansing High Street report, but I just opened it. And it seems like this conversation that we're having is a conversation that they had back then. It is. But I think they weren't focused on the right challenge. If you read the report, it just feels to me like, well, the way in which we're going to make Lansing High Street work again is we're going to get more people to come to Lansing High Street. Yeah. And that sort of felt to me like forests don't compete with each other. They survive in the environment they're in for what's in the forest. So the first question that we needed to ask ourselves is, what's the boundary of the forest we're working on if we're talking about Lansing? And then how does that fit into the picture? I got interested in that and started thinking, well, is it really about the people? You know, if, I mean, I don't quite know whether the people are the messengers or what they are in the forest. Yeah. But let's not worry about that. If it's for the people of Lansing, what is it the people of Lansing need? Well, you know, they do need to have food shops because everybody can't grow their own food in Lansing. So they're going to have to buy food, have to get their hair cut. They have to take their dog to have his clip, for example, as I do sometimes. So there are things that they need. And probably concentrating them somewhere makes sense that we're having to adapt. And the thing about the report, the visioning report, and lots of stuff that I've looked at, and I'm not quite sure what, what you've looked at, but seems to want to try and retain the status quo somehow. Mm. Yeah? And, and like shops are still there to sell you things. So they've got to figure out how to sell you more things or make things that you want more interesting, but they're still selling you. And I'm thinking, do forests work like that? So I started looking at how do forests adapt, yeah. and, you know, because what we're trying to do is adapt. And there's kind of two ways. One way is that they sort of create a buffer so the forest can change and increase its resistance and resilience to try and stay the same. Or it starts to facilitate the ecosystem shift towards a new desired state. Sorry, can you explain this a bit more? The yeah. forest creates a buffer. Yeah, so the forest has certain ways of resisting insects that might suddenly come. Yeah. And, and cause a problem, right? So if if there's an infestation, you know, we've heard that they might actually send signals to each other through their rhizomes about they need to be ready for insects. So they're resisting the insect invasion to try and maintain the status quo. Yeah. Or alternatively, what happens is, I guess climate change is a classic example of this. Things get drier, so certain species of trees die out because they can't survive. And new species that are more able to survive in a drier climate they start to grow and the forest kind of changes over time as and readapts itself, if you like, to the new environment as opposed to resisting it. There's something that's coming up for me as you're talking about this. And, and one of them is that forests, and I think rainforests particularly, they create their own environment. So it's a separate ecosystem. And the other thing is that something I read from the book, I think it's called The Secret Life of Trees or The Hidden Life of Trees. Something he mentions is that the trees at the edge of the forest that are more exposed to the elements as healthy as the trees in the middle that are more protected. And the reason for that is 
that's kind of proof that they're supporting each other because otherwise the, the trees at the edge would just be kind of destroyed by the wind and you know the sun which i thought was an interesting idea about that could be adapted as well that you know the, the, the system is is mutually supportive yeah and so the, all that sort of brings to me the question of well what is it that the people of lansing want in their high street if lansing is the forest what do they need in their high street? And is it more about understanding what they need? And the other thing that occurred to me is maybe maybe we don't need to save the high street. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is evolution and the high street isn't going to be there anymore because everybody's going to go to Worthing or Brighton or buy it online and yeah. they don't want a high street. So there's something, you know, you've been saying to me quite a lot about, well, we need to find out what people want. And I'm beginning yeah. to think that that's kind of way more important at the moment in understanding yeah. what's going on. And now the the visioning study apparently talked to lots of people, but I think they talked to lots of people. But in the background, they had a an agenda which was all about more people going to Lansing. And exactly. so it kind of impacted on how they thought about it. I mean, I'm just reading the very first page, which says exciting things are happening in Lansing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd maybe argue, having spent a day there, but there's something else later where they said about bringing together councils, businesses and local community so that everyone's collective actions contribute towards shared long-term objectives, which, I, which is saying to me that we, we can't just look at it from a people's point of view. I mean, as much as I think that places should be for people, I mean, I think maybe it's tipped in the other direction. I'm, you know, very much during the very first lockdown, I was so struck when there were no cars on the road and how amazing that was. And I'd love to see car-free cities how do you work that out because i think it makes it a better place for people and i think you know the, the cities are set up for cars and i know people have got to move around but i think it's it's gone too far in that direction well, and as a as a resident it's not so nice to be walking around in a place where there's pollution and there are these dangerous things whizzing past at 30 or 40 miles an hour and how nice it is when there's a bit of quiet and stillness and the sun shining and that the trees are in flower and leaf and, and the birds are singing and that's just such a different experience and why can't cities and towns be more like that so yeah and given climate change and the way everything is changing so it's going online or lots of things lots of things are you know that report you were that you sent me was talking about what, what's going to happen to high streets is that there'll be more residential spaces and high streets and there'll be a total mix of things like collection points and cafes. That's what they were suggesting. I think that's highly likely, but I think the other thing that I, I picked up is that high streets aren't universally similar. Yeah. They have to be specific to the place that they're in uh, yeah. because that's what's really important. What we're trying to do is use a general overlay to understand yeah. what the specific actions would need to be to make it successful. But we're missing understanding the contextual place. Now, I think in the yeah. Visioning Lansing, they had lots of physical contextual stuff about the beach. And yeah. and uh, if you read the report, you'll see that they talk a lot about that ugly industrial thing called the tire replacement center at the beach. Yeah. And they'd like to replace that with a nice thing that would be the access way in and whatever. And the other thing that you see in the report is that when you look at there's a huge list of actions, but just about all the actions are about either district or central government or, or parish council doing something with some money. And there isn't really a huge amount of action for anyone else. So 
people are kind of there, but there aren't very many places where people get to actually do anything towards making the change. It's kind of being done for them in some way for most right. of them, what I could see. That's interesting. Um, which, which is kind of where you, you're talking about cars. And so your answer to let's have carless cities is, well, we'll pass a law saying you can't have a car inside a certain area and then it would be car free. So using a centralized approach. And that's great if everybody get to make the decisions. For example, okay. the people of California made a decision about pollution from cars, which said that all cars had to have a catalytic converter. It was the state of California's referendum that the people voted for that resulted in essentially every car eventually having a catalytic converter to reduce its pollution. So the people actually got to say what they wanted. It doesn't work like that here. Yeah. But it could do. I mean, I just I just did a course, which is finished, and I didn't do all of it, actually, on grassroots and community democracy. And I think that's really interesting, you know, because places are full of all sorts of different kinds of people and, you know, particularly communities and people that are often excluded. And it's like, how do you bring in the needs and the desires and the wants of those kind of people? And what do people actually want? But that was interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, is our question about making sense of place, actually? And it's, it's a much bigger question about, you know, what is Lansing for and what does it need and what does it want? And also I was thinking about, you know, my desire would be to get rid of cars. And it's interesting that, I don't know if you heard recently, but a, a Labour council in a marginal area have decided to get rid of all the cycle lanes that they put in recently because they're unpopular because they want to get re-elected. And it's like, well, where do you get to the point where people are happy to do things that are unpopular because they need it? It's like people want to drive cars, but if cars are polluting the planet, then maybe we've got to stop people driving cars, but that's not what they want. So, you know, it's the kind of short-term, long-term, do wow. you just do what people want or do you do things that are unpopular as well because they're right and they're good? Well, I think if you unpick that a bit, then the question becomes, well, why did you need the car in the first place, right? So you needed the car to get somewhere that you wanted to go. So if it turns out that you could walk, you know, this concept of the 15 minute yeah. village or whatever it is, if yeah. you could walk everywhere you needed to go in 15 minutes, you wouldn't get in your car to go there because you're probably yeah. quite happy to walk. Or if you're you know, really struggling, you could use your mobility scooter or your bicycle. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you could do it. So the question maybe is, is more about if people didn't feel they needed to use their car, they wouldn't. And they might still have a car because outside of their 15 minute life, they may want to go visit their relatives and they have to drive an hour and a half to get there. So you need a car to do that. So I'm not saying get rid of your car, but it's what you use the car for that matters. Yeah. And so depending on where you live, you might have to put up with cars driving around somewhere near you. But the part that you're going to use to be your walking location to go to your local place. And this is probably why they, you know, things like pedestrian only areas and shopping areas are popular is because suddenly when the cars aren't there, everybody feels a lot more relaxed and able to use the space. But one of the contradictions I think might happen is if we have more people living in the high street, where are they going to put their car if the high street doesn't have cars? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's challenges. There's definitely challenges. So, you know, I've been inspired by car-free zones in places like Barcelona. Yeah. But also in London, they, I think in Hackney, they've done low traffic zones where if you live in the street, you can still drive in the streets, but you can't if you don't live there. So I think that stops roads being used as cut-throughs probably, but it doesn't stop the traffic in the streets. No, and it, it's quite hard to police as well. You know, there's quite a lot of 
cost and knowing whether your car should yeah. be on that street or not. So it, it, so it would be much better if people thought, well, I don't really need to use my car. I can walk from my house to Lansing High Street. So why would I get in my car to go there? Yeah. So this is about systems thinking, isn't it? Looking at the, the holistic view and taking into account all sorts of different things and looking what other places are doing. Yeah. But I think there is a question around making sense of place. Like, what's it for? Does Lansing need a high street anymore? That's right. As you just said. Yeah. And is Lansing High Street disappearing or changing significantly? It's a way of adapting like a forest would, because it's not about protecting the forest anymore. It's about accepting that there's a change and the forest has to be different. I mean, if you think about it like a forest, and let's say suddenly or over a few years, the centre of the forest started to die, what would happen? Things would come in and feed on all of that and then new things would grow in the middle and it would kind of regenerate. Interesting that that thing I sent you about fast growing forests and he was saying that forests take 600 years to to seed themselves, but you can do it in 10 10 years if you manage it properly. I really really like that actually. I I watched that, I watched the TED talk. I thought, wow, this is is really great, you know? And what I was, and then I was wandering around Lansing and I was was looking for 10 meter square places. Yeah. where we could go to the parish council once they get elected and say, why don't you do this? Because, you know, they've, you know, you talked about those little forest areas, those they planted with a few trees because they're big on planting trees. They planted a few trees on that field down at at the local park. I take my dog for a walk, but they're just planting a few trees. And I think they are. There's a, there was a sign up uh, about that I saw on the day that we were counting about microforests. Yeah. And isn't that what it is? But they're, they're planning to, they're building a microforest somewhere in Lansing. I mean, it's going to take 10 years to grow, to, even to grow a microforest. I mean, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I, I had a picture when he just talked about this of like a really densely yeah. forested area that you couldn't walk through. I had this wonderful idea that you could have apple trees, for example, and then people could just come to the local forest and pick the apples from the trees. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting, you know, in, in braiding sweetgrass, just to circle back, that she talks about people needing to be part of it, that people help places to thrive if we look after it in, in the right way, and if we engage with it and participate in the right way. So maybe the microforest with the paths through it is helpful to the forest. It could be, yeah. Okay. I mean, interesting. So so, so what? Are we, are we coming to, to some actions or are we still talking around <laughs> the ideas? Maybe what we should try and do is write down the question. Yeah. And we could talk about that a bit. Maybe we could actually identify where we're going. So is the question, how does Lansing High Street thrive? That's one option. Or is another option, is Lansing High Street dead? (laughs) Or a third option could be, how does Lansing High Street adapt? And is anything about a forest helpful in accelerating that adaption? Because I think one of the things that for me is interesting is, takes up 600 years for a forest but you can accelerate it to 10 years so if Lansing High Street has to adapt is there ways that we could accelerate the adaption to make it quicker which would be more successful than just waiting for it to naturally somehow as a result of market forces and new populations and things like that. I mean, maybe we can't come up with a question without speaking to people and finding out what they feel about it and what they want and what they need. Yeah, well, I I don't disagree with that either. I think 
I think we need to talk to people. That's something yeah. we need to think through. Maybe the thing about Lansing High Street is not to try and regenerate it for business, but to say, okay, all these things are happening. You know, the, the shops are disappearing. What about just trying to make it a really nice place to be? You know, make it pedestrianized, get some more places for people to gather and community centers and cafes and things and just make it a nice place to be. I I think that's a good idea. I think the starting point might be more along the line. And if you read the report, you'll see they did talk about this. Mm. But I think like tree lined streets, you know, pedestrianizing is quite tricky, but more trees, maybe having uh, green walls, you know, like some of the buildings could have planting up the side of them, stuff like that. Maybe maybe you could make Lansing into an experimental location to try something new. But we need to get... To make it a, an experimental green town. Yeah, not that there aren't other things going on, but but we need to get a group of people to start with who wanted to do something like that, or we yeah. need to start to make something happen that way. If you went to people and said, what do you want, without giving them any option, would they would they know even how to answer that? You know, would people be able to well, think in as big a way possible? I wonder if it's worth doing this sort of mobile town hall thing where maybe we talk about some of these things and then say to people if you could think as blue sky and as big as you could possibly do for lansing what ideas would you have maybe there were some great ideas and some options came out of that and then you'd put those ideas to everybody else so you start with a small small group of people coming up with some really big idea well i think that's a great idea i I mean i i think we need to go away and think about how we can go about doing that so what what's what's our next steps then i think we should go away and come up with a scheme that we can actually talk to the people of Lansing. Not, not, a, not like a scheme of what to do, but a scheme of how to find out or start to find out what they might like to do. Like uh, we should focus a little effort on is how do we make all the stuff we've talked about into, into a story that links to Lansing's history or something. I mean, Lansing used to be a very popular seaside resort once. It was one of the first places that people used to come down from London to go to the seaside and things like that. And it used to be quite a a hive of activity. And so I don't know how, but maybe somehow we could link those kind of historic bits into a story about, so where are we going now? And gosh, what's, what are forests about? And yeah. Something we st- we started with a storyboard and just sort of made it more image led with a kind of very short descriptions. Even if it was, even if it was just for our own benefit to capture what we've been talking about, because we you know we meander all over the place, don't we? We do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun of it all, isn't it? I mean, it is. I, I knew that was what was going to happen, and I. I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of the uh, the appeal of all this, you know. Well, we, you know, we touch on some really interesting ideas. I mean, I'm loving it. But in a way of capturing it as a, in a story, I like that idea. And it would help us to think, to see maybe some patterns or something, yeah. an arc to the story. I mean, the yeah. idea of having a photo competition so we could get people to go and take pictures of what they thought they'd like the high street to be like. And okay. I mean, right. There's that space, you know, there's the Victoria Plaza. Yeah. Maybe we could just sort of take that over one day and have a few chairs and a bit of a storyboard and on a Saturday morning and start talking to people, having created something that generated some interest. Great idea. So what do we do between now and then? We're just going to think, we're just going to start thinking about it, maybe knock some ideas backwards and forwards about what we could do. I think that sort of finishes up for today. And don't forget to join us next time because we're going to have our first guest and we're going to hear all about how someone has successfully applied How Forest Works to a challenge. Nigel, this is great news that you've managed to get a guest coming for our next podcast. 
So can you tell me a bit about who's coming? Yeah. Next time we've got Sasha from My Oak Public Market, and she's going to be telling us more about how they come up with the idea, what they're doing, and how it all works. And we can grill her on thinking like a forest and how they've applied it to their service and their project. Yeah, because I think if I remember, you were telling me that the whole idea of My Oak market came from the fact that there's an oak forest near the local town and that's what inspired them yeah in fact it was a design challenge they were looking at baltimore and food security in baltimore particularly during the pandemic of how disadvantaged communities had access to decent quality food or not and so they had a design challenge about how could they improve the distribution of food to disadvantaged communities and then their question was how does nature solve this challenge and they went to look at the forest that was behind the city and they got inspired by how forest works so then they designed the whole project inspired by nature excellent right we'll see everybody next time bye well there you have it thank you for listening if you'd like to send us feedback have comments or questions email us at makingahappen at gmail.com or on Twitter at Making A Happen. And don't forget to join us next time at Making A Happen.